0: What's exciting to me now about the evolution of the field is that we're now able to serve a much broader base of customer. I mean, low income, people who rent. I mean, that's that's how we're going to achieve mm. this a, a true energy transition. We have to serve everybody.
1: Community solar. The model where neighbors, community members can collectively purchase clean electricity from a central offsite solar array has been gaining massive attention and momentum of late, offering an option for equitable access to clean energy while helping to reduce carbon emissions and promising to keep energy prices low for consumers. But how exactly is it really different from any other types of solar energy projects? And more importantly, what does it mean for you as you embrace this clean energy revolution? My name is Nico Johnson, your host, as we navigate the inner workings of what has been hailed as the fourth vertical in the solar industry. Consider this your Community Solar 101. This five-part series presents unique perspectives from industry experts on how each of us might consider the role of community solar in our business, career, or even neighborhood. Does it really provide equitable access to solar energy? Will it live up to the hype and hope? Or is it too good to be true? In this episode two, we'll hear from David Kane, Associate Director of Development for EDP Renewables' Distributed Generation Division. Dave brings nearly 20 years of real estate and solar development experience to the table as he was one of the early developers in the Northeast market, developing specifically for community solar. In this discussion, Dave helps us understand the variables and processes involved from the developer perspective when considering community solar. How is it different from other segments of the solar industry? Who are the stakeholders in the partner network of a successful development firm and how does it expand the offering, not just for the solar company, but for the communities they serve? David's insights into development needs specific to the sector are helpful in setting the stage for how community solar is differentiated from other verticals. The Community Solar Series is a production of Suncast Media and Season 1 is brought to you in partnership with EDP Renewables North America.
0: My name is Dave Kane. I'm the Associate Director of Development for EDP Renewables North America, and I work on the Distributed Generation Team.
1: David, you have a depth of experience that obviously positions you well to do the work that you do at EDPR. You've seen how the solar industry has, and in particular, the way that we develop projects has evolved. Do you recall in a specific catalyst or period of your career where you first became aware that community solar was a new category. It was a thing that you were going to start have to, having to think about as a developer and integrate into the product mix.
0: Yeah, well, I, I was fortunate to sort of start my career in the Northeast. I've been in solar development now for 12 years or so. I started in the heady days of New Jersey SRECs when they were $500 plus a wreck. I've seen the market kind of move and shift throughout the Northeast, especially Massachusetts, later in New York. Certainly one of those sort of pivotal moments you're talking about was when Massachusetts began to roll out the concept of, of virtual net metering mm. and allowing us to, you know, develop projects sort of moving sort of off the rooftops, off the CNI, out of the CNI space, kind of behind the meter types of interconnections and applications to ground mounted projects to, you know, move, you know, building bigger on land and not necessarily tying a project to a particular load, but building it in a place that was advantageous to the developer where land was Mm -hmm. relatively inexpensive and allowing you to wield that power to a variety of customers in the same utility service territory.
1: Yeah. David, you know, it's interesting. We had a long conversation with Jeff Kramer about the way policy shapes the environment. And this series kicks off through the lens of policy, because I've learned that policy is a key, key driver. I think it's interesting as well, what you introduce here, that a lot of folks may perceive that because a market is called community solar in one state, namely Colorado or Minnesota, that's where the idea began. But policy has been developed over the last 10 plus years in many states, and I, like you, look at Massachusetts as one of those states that was a bellwether. It was a forebearer of what we saw as possible as a developer how do you think about policy as a driver and particularly not as a product driver but as a decision making filter for how you are structuring your time and your team
0: well it's everything i mean the enabling legislation is critical now that community solar is a much more is a well known concept and is being embraced not only sort of in, in progressive states, but elsewhere in the country and acknowledged as a an economic driver, as a job creator. And, you know, this is one of the benefits of working at EDPR. We have a terrific regulatory team who kind of tracks policy and, and regulatory environments in different states. Yeah. We're always thinking about and looking at. and observing with surprise how many additional states are kind of opening up and considering community solar legislation. So we're looking at, you know, now in, in, the, in the South, um, in, in states we, we never imagined would be contemplating community solar. And again, it's an economic proposition as much as a clean energy proposition for a lot of these policymakers.
1: David, there may be some who are completely unfamiliar with how development teams are structured or how you may think about your role in such a big company, you weren't always at a big company like EDP. In fact, the organization that represents DG was acquired by EDP. Can you talk a bit about your role in the organization? What exactly do you do and you're responsible for, and how does the organization, the DG division, as well as the larger organization of EDP, depend on on your efforts?
0: Yeah, so the the predecessor company was known as C2. I was not a part of that. C2 was a very kind of lean organization. They were kind of an M&A machine. They acquired mm-hmm. lots and lots of projects and developed them. But a lot of the stuff they acquired were were near completion. And if they if they needed development resources, they would work with the developer who was already working on that project through a, a development services agreement and bring those projects to fruition. Their goal was to own and operate assets, but they didn't have much of an internal development Capacity. I came in to both increase our capabilities internally in order to be able to increase our inbound flow of M and A assets, to be able to develop projects perhaps at an earlier stage internally, but also notably to expand our, our greenfield development capabilities. The community solar market is is expanding in, in multiple states and ways, and and EPR as a company and EDP the parent has a huge mandate to deploy you know, $25 billion globally between now and 2025. And, and you know the DG team is a, is a critical part of that. They have huge ambitions. And in yeah. order to serve those ambitions, we need to greenfield projects for ourselves as well.
1: Yeah. What I hear you saying with my secondary level of understanding and education on how development works is you weren't able to deploy the capital available fast enough through simple M&A. And as you build out that partner network internally, you also have to go out and sort of be the tip of the spear in some of these new markets that perhaps you don't have partners and you haven't, there isn't enough inbound of flow. It's a common problem for a larger company, right? Like C2 didn't have the capital constraints or they had capital constraints. They didn't have sort of the deeper pockets. And now with EDP, you have the ability to look further afield and develop a wider lens on the kinds of projects that are acceptable and the kinds of markets that you can experiment in and build markets around. To that end, I'd love to hear as a developer, what skills do you bring to the table for EDP personally and the team that you've built around that are necessary for the greenfield stuff that amplifies what C2 is already doing?
0: Yeah. So, you know, again, I having worked in in Massachusetts and building community solar projects, the basic skill sets for a community solar developer are I think about them as, as sort of two critical pieces, you know, interconnection. And land and sort of the, all of the the skills that attend you know the acquisition of land. Uh, there's there's a legal component. There's a you know working with partners to to identify sites. There is thinking about grid constraints. Where can you interconnect a project? Uh, thinking about environmental constraints. It's so what I love about development is that it's a it's a real it's a generalist kind of job. I know yeah. a, a little bit about a lot of areas, um, including interconnection and land and legal.
1: How different from utility scale or even like large portfolio rooftop scale development is community solar at its core? Like in the fundamental skills you need to deploy. Is the mandate different for your team than it would be for a team of developers at 8-Minute Energy, right? Like, or, you know, some of these bigger, like Primergy. They're doing yep. Greenfield and m and Is your mandate for, you know, 50 megawatts that gets broken up into... 500 customers different from the mandate of a 500 megawatt customer or plant that has maybe one or two customers?
0: Yes. I mean, obviously, we want to be reasonably close to load centers, population centers. I mean, the difference between utility scale development, you know, where you're just, you, you can build in, in extremely rural areas and you're looking for, you know, tra- no, you know, transmission areas where you can interconnect to the transmission grid. Uh-huh. You know, we are fundamentally connecting to a different grid, to the distribution grid. And there are natural constraints on that grid. You know, we are limited by how much capacity those those feeders can accept. As a developer, are things like
1: constraints on these feeders and connecting at distribution level or are these types of are there known maps or these databases that you're developing on the ground? Like what resources are available to you versus what you have to make internally to actually gain insight into. The different access points and capacity and nodes and all of those things.
0: Yeah. So, as community solar developers, you know, we're we're interconnecting on the distribution grid, and that itself is a, a limiting, a, a huge limiting factor, right? The mm-hmm. distribution grid is is a series of wires and and substations. And those substations have have a kind of a, a limit. When you are entering a new community solar market, a new state, it's kind of a a land rush to find you know sites mm-hmm. on what are called three phase feeders that emanate from a distribution substation and you can't be too far from those substations you need to be sort of in that sort of within three or four miles of that sub and so if you can imagine you know there are just a, a limited number of of spaces and, and parcels of land along those feeders that can accommodate a project of say 20 acres we're looking for larger pieces of land along those feeders not too far from the sub and again it's a limited number and and we're we, along with everyone else in the industry, are, are chasing that, chasing those, uh, those kind of... Yeah. Uh,
1: and when you say chasing and land rush, it really is built around this idea of policy-driven market adoption. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I want to tie in here, and I'm sure you've probably had to explain this to folks even internally on the team as you think about how you're positioning yourself. But let's go back to the policy discussion we had a bit earlier. How do you decide then where you're focusing your development dollars, your team, your partner development from a market-based perspective and talk through that positioning in new markets as you see them opening up and how you get, we'll say like a a place in the queue as it were to know that you actually have a way to, to channel those development dollars into real projects that are actually gonna be considered in this in this new market that's policy driven?
0: Yeah. So we, you know, EDPR has a, has a terrific, uh, team, uh, a regulatory and, and policy team and, and where, you know, we have our, our ear to the ground in, in across the country and are listening in state houses for, you know, the bubbling of new community solar legislation. There are a number of markets where, you know, we're, so we're, we're working both in, in active community solar markets with existing, programs, as well as always thinking about where's the next sort of state to pop. And it is relatively inexpensive to prospect in those states where we think there is legislation or there's been discussion, there's early policymaking occurring. And because of the intense competition for for land, it's inexpensive to go and find sites, tie them up under a, a land option for a number of years in anticipation of that program being enacted. That's a a large strategy of ours um, yeah. you know, now going out and securing those gotcha. positions.
1: Given that it seems like there A, is a land rush, B, it requires that you have a sense of timing and where the frontier markets are, how would you advise folks or even where do you go to get information to inform those decisions, right? Like I can go to, to BNEF or Canary Media or some of these other sources for market data on where international markets are expanding. But is the same true for potential community solar? I, ser- I certainly can't in my cursory Google search find some sort of report that tells me where <laughs> new community solar markets are on the horizon.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, we rely heavily on market research and being a being a member of, of CCSA. You know, their policy team. You know, they're they're sort of the market leader. They have monthly updates on regions, region specific policy updates, and uh, those are those are invaluable. I mean, I guess as a, as an individual developer, it can be expensive to be a member. I guess that's one. But you can also be a member of a of a particular region. You know, in terms of if, if cost is a consideration.
1: Are there conferences specific to community solar the way we have just for general, like resi and and utility scale solar?
0: Yep, absolutely. There's a Northeast conference. There's a Midwest conference. Um, Certainly, yeah, the country is divided and there's a number of organizations, SIA and others, that put on terrific conferences on a regular basis.
1: Fantastic. We'll try to find links to those for folks that are interested in determining how you could plug in to regional groups, hubs that are already talking at length and in depth about how community solar works. But One of the things that I'm sure you, with your tenure uh, and depth of experience in community solar, have seen is a lot of failure, where do people most often mess up in the development process specifically regarding community solar? The other way I would ask it is like, what are the hair on projects that you're always having to fix? And you like kind of almost see it coming by now.
0: Yeah, I mean, just just being being late to late to the market. I mean, uh, I think you know, as more and more competitors kind of pile in, the quality of land you know decreases. People will take take greater risks on sites that may have environmental constraints. They might spend money on a site that hasn't been properly diligenced um, from mm. an environmental or permitting standpoint. They haven't done the proper research. The other issue that often happens is that as community solar Enters a market, you know. Towns see all this activity. People are leasing up land. They enact moratoriums on. This is kind of a constant kind of cat and mouse game with local jurisdictions. Is that you know they townsmen people will rise up and say, we just don't want our town, you know, covered in solar panels. I mean, it's, it's sort of an irrational fear, but it's a very common thing. These, these moratoria that occur. And especially if there's no, there's no zoning regulations, you know, they, they enact these moratoria to give themselves time to to create a zoning ordinance.
1: David, given that it is tough to develop in these markets, and you do have to reach out and develop a partner network, How do you think about the kinds of partners that you are looking for in these new markets? And how do you develop those partner relationships?
0: Yeah, I mean, lo- local we, we rely very heavily on on local partners. I mean, we we like to to run a fairly, you know, lean shop. We don't have a lot of internal developers, and so we look for experienced folks who who live in the in the markets where they are developing, who have relationships, they have familiarity with the with the local policy and regulations from a zoning perspective. We often partner with people with real estate expertise again, who can, who can, who have relationships with large landowners or who are, you know, just have, have some legal internal, you know, legal knowledge. So they've kind of already sort of de-risked a project or a portfolio of projects. So we look for folks who, you know, with a range of, of experiences, but especially, you know, on, on the legal and land side. I think what's interesting about, you know, the, the arc of, of community solar is that it started as something that, that served just sort of the wealthy or those with 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 the right credit what's exciting to me now about the evolution of the field is that we're now able to serve a much broader base of customer i mean low income people who rent i mean that's that's how we're going to achieve mm-hmm. this a, a true energy transition we have to serve everybody instead of just sort of the wealthiest among us so expanding that that access to clean energy is is critical and that's what community solar is enabling now
1: and it also helps to move the projects closer to the people who get to buy the electricity even though they can't put it on their own rooftops right
0: no absolutely i mean there's a i think there's a huge benefit in folks being able to to see the project there you know they're buying into citing projects in those the vicinities of 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 the communities we're serving is is a is a critical part of of my work and yeah that buy-in is huge both you know for for from from a permitting standpoint and just from an ongoing you know people just awareness of of the growth of of the industry
1: yeah one of the things that we've talked about in past conversations and that i'm I'm aware you guys really focus on as well is unlike a large-scale utility scale project where maybe the only off taker is facebook and it's out in the middle of a field in virginia you have the opportunity to impact that local community with A big stakeholder, we call them anchor tenants in in certain sort of conversations around how community solar is developed, right? That one off taker that helps the banks get comfortable with the overall risk. And we'll talk about this in a later episode in the series. But that anchor tenant community solar projects tends to be right there in the community they serve. And that impact can't be underestimated.
0: Correct. No, I mean you know if, if oftentimes these are these are major employers in the in the town or, or they, the vicinity they serve, and so you might have a, a CNI customer as your anchor tenant, so to speak, and mm-hmm. all the you know the, the the folks who work in that uh, that company or that corporation as off takers, you know, in their own homes, serving their own you know loads, charging their cars. We hope down the road.
1: And it's all been made possible because we can now do things like wheeling or virtual net metering. And developers like you have decided that this is a worthwhile endeavor. Indeed, that this fourth vertical, as we call it, is interesting enough and tangential enough to the skill sets you've developed to be able to develop a product that not only addresses our, our race towards sustainable energy production, but our race towards diverse equitable access to clean energy for all. David Kane, thank you for joining us on this second episode of Community Solar.
0: You're welcome, Nico. Thanks for having me.
1: I hope you've enjoyed today's episode in this five-part series exploring how community solar works from the perspective of policy, technical expertise, financial analysis, and commercial opportunity. Many thanks to the expert contributors sharing their insights to this series and to our partner, EDP Renewables North America, who helped make it possible. Here's a sneak peek at what's coming in tomorrow's episode. Community solar really does democratize the benefits of solar energy. Nearly 50% of households and businesses cannot actually host solar on their rooftop. And so this is another opportunity to really see the benefits of solar. Even the building that you are utilizing energy in, utilizing electricity in, cannot host the solar itself. I hope you'll subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and check us out on the web at mysuncast.com forward slash community solar, that's all one word, where you can read more about each guest, find additional background information on each episode, and dig into the references from each discussion. If you're completely unfamiliar with me and this is your first time listening to Suncast, well, I've interviewed more than 400 founders, leaders, entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurs in the clean energy industry over the last six years through the Suncast podcast, all in an effort to help you figure out exactly where you fit in this clean energy transition. If you haven't yet, I'd encourage you to give Suncast a listen. It's the most comprehensive podcast in existence, documenting the rise of the solar and clean energy revolution from the voices of the leaders brave enough to stand on the front lines. Community Solar is a production of Suncast Media, and this season one is brought to you by our friends at EDP Renewables North America. Let them be your partner and bring your next community solar project to completion. Find out how by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash community solar. Remember, you are what you listen to. So thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.